What's up, you guys? This is your host for Found Bajewski inside of my car right now because I need to do a little preview to the special episode. So this is my part two of my low back pain uh, series. And the first one did really, really well. Like I think within 24 hours, I had like close to 400 listens. So uh, this one is gonna be the continuation of it. But uh, these three episodes that I put together, one is from earlier this year and two of them are from last year. Um, which are more so like the 30 to 45 minute range. So this entire episode is going to be close to three hours. So buckle in because this is going to be a, a big one. Um, but I'm excited because a lot of these topics that I've brought up, I've only done bits and pieces. So I've been looking back at certain episodes that need to be together to kind of show the whole picture of, in this case, low back pain and what to do. So in this episode, highly recommend you watch it because these three episodes um, get pretty hands-on with exercise demos, um, exercise breakdowns, things like that. So highly recommend you watch this one. If not, listen. I try to be as uh, you know descriptive as possible in these episodes. And without further ado, here is part two to the low back pain series. Hopefully you enjoy it. And today we are gonna go through a topic, AKA your crunches and why it is literally the worst thing you should be doing for your spine and why it usually gives more issues than solutions when it comes to back health, core strength, and visible abs. Um, probably 30 minutes. Um, on the topic of low back pain and crunches. So I'm constantly surprised with the amount of people I meet, the coaches I meet, that still program um, crunches for their clients and themselves. And a lot of times, you know, when I ask them, do you know who Dr. Stuart McGill is? And they have no clue. They kind of look at me, deer in the headlights type of thing. So for those who are listening, everything that I'm gonna bring up in this episode can come down to McGill's work. And if you don't know who he is, highly, highly recommend uh, that you go search him out and read his books, listen to his podcasts, episodes, listen to him lecture, listen to anything Stuart McGill, because that's going to give you a lot of insight of what we're going to go through today. And we're also going to do some demos of exercises. Um, to kind of go along with this. So for all my listeners, highly recommend, again, hit the show notes, click the video link to my YouTube channel to watch this uh, because I've been doing a lot more video, vlog, podcast things and it comes in handy um, compared to my car um, podcast episodes. But anyway, um, the biggest thing that I always see is you know, in the clinic setting, I will usually get a patient that comes in and has low back pain. Most people have had low back pain once or twice in their life. And it can either be, you know, just a flare up, super sore, or it can be like crippling pain. And a lot of times, the first thing I'll ask is, what do you do for exercise? They start naming off what they do. And I ask, okay, specific exercises. And most of the time they'll say crunches. And I'm like, okay, why are you doing crunches? And they're like, oh, I want a six pack. I want to work on my core. Okay, so now I know this person 
doesn't really understand the concept of a core. And that's something that we need to understand. So what does your core do? And essentially, if you look at the way it's designed, it's supposed to resist force in all multiple directions. So if I am sitting here in front of you right now, and I have this force coming here to push me over, all of my core musculature is built to resist that to keep me upright. And what that is, is I'm fighting anti-lateral flexion, right? So if I look at what my um, spine can do, which is flexion, extension, and rotation, and lateral flexion on both sides, um, then I can train it that way. So if I am constantly just doing crunches, and that's all I do for my core work, one, we already have a problem. If, like, let's set aside why crunches are shitty for your spine. But let's just think about it. You ask an average person, what do you do for core work? Usually it's just crunches and variations of crunches because they feel it here. And if you go by that logic, then if I asked you, all I want you to do for upper body is just bench press. That's it, right? Just that one plane of motion. And for most part, we know, or at least I hope we know that when you do so much pressing, you're kind of feeding into the fire of terrible posture because like even right now when I'm sitting, rounded posture and do this eight to 10 hours every single day in front of a desk, especially now that everyone's working at home over Zoom or whatever video recording device you use, conferencing device you use, it just feeds into that fire, right? We're just adding more movement into this pattern of terrible posture. So, you know, you go to physio or chiro, they're always going to say, oh, you want like mid trap activation, you want postural exercise, band pull aparts, no money drills, those things. Like, I think we all know that. But when it comes to like, okay, I'm gonna work on my core, I'm gonna do this over and over and over and over again. That doesn't really make sense, right? So already one thing we have is that we're overloading a terrible postural um, position. And a lot of times, like, I'll give this example. If I'm sitting like before, we can probably agree that this is bad posture because one, we're feeding into the fire of what we're doing all day. And two, that, you know, any posture, like, that's a whole other discussion, but any posture that's prolonged for too long is bad posture. But we can probably all agree that this is bad posture. So, what's the difference of me going on my back in the gym and doing this? Right? If you think of that side by side, if I had a photo, it's the same thing. The same thing. So without realizing it, you're actually making your posture worse in that sense. So if we know that the average person sits at a desk eight to 10 hours a day and then goes to the gym and does bench press, say they have no idea, they're doing more pressing, they're getting super tight up top and now they're doing more crunches, they're super tight up top. We understand that when our thoracic spine up here does not move adequately, our lumbar spine has to take over for its job. And our lumbar spine is not really designed to be mobile. It's supposed to be a stable joint. And I'm going to get into another point of when you should train flexion in your spine, but that's going to be near the end. We're talking about the average person here. Now, 
when you look at our spine it can flex it can extend it could laterally rotate on both sides and just rotate in general in order for our spine to be healthy it should be able to do all those things but if we take their average person that's rounded like this all day you would assume that the vertebral discs in the spine being under this pressure for so long you would assume that the discs in between each vertebrae are gonna now push out to one position because they're in this rounded position so when you look at the most common low back and neck pain people will have bulging discs and herniated discs because of that posture low back and neck tend to be the ones that are in those positions a lot so if you think of that sitting position we're rounded but we get a lot of stress right in here in the cervical spine and our pelvis is tucked under like this right and I find that a lot of times when I work with uh, patients in a clinic setting or even in my kin stretch classes um, the average person has no idea how to move their spine interdependently of each vertebrae it kind of just clumps all together so if you think of like the cat cow for example it all kind of just comes together and then when I had to isolate say just the lumbar portion of their spine to rotate back and forth no clue how to use that right so we already have now discovered some problems and issues that are going to arise down the line and now if we know that that posture for a long time tends to cause bulging discs herniated discs in both cervical and lumbar then why would it be a good idea to now feed that fire further by cranking onto your neck <laughs> hit my hat off um, in the crunch position constantly because this tends to fatigue a lot faster so then what happens is people start yanking on their neck and then you wonder why people have low back pain like further increase their low back pain along with their lumbar pain uh, low back pain so now you can already see this pattern that we're not kind of even doing ourselves any favors right so if you look at dr. Sewers McGill's work he's the one that figured out that your spine has so much forward flexion before a disc goes this way and starts causing pain now you know that can mean the average person has I don't know 20,000 forward flexions before something hurts maybe the person beside me has 11,000 maybe the person on the other side of me has 5,000 whatever it is but I think we all have had an instance where we reach down to go grab something aka our shoe our laptop bag and something just buckles in our spine we have that shooting pain going through our back and now we can't move and now everything hurts and what happened we went to number 20,000 of forward flexion your body goes fuck this here's a little disc that pushes against your nerve and now we got pain takes a while to come back from that believe me I've been in that position and that was during the time where I've looked into Dr. Sue McGill's work and it makes sense it makes sense to me now for all those people who are like okay I get it no more crunches so stupid whatever it is but what do I do then 
So now we got to go into this whole idea of um, what our core musculature is built to do, um, what it is, and what exercises can, you know, get that um, job done. So one, when I look at the core, and I'm pretty sure I've done multiple episodes on this, but, and in my book, um, I look at the cores, the top of my shoulders, down to my kneecaps. All that musculature is built for keeping our spine safe and strong while producing movement. So if I can create tension through my shoulders to my knee to produce movement and power and whatever else I'm going to do, then my back is going to be happy. So how does that look like, right? Um, before I go in any further though, what I mean by that is that if I can produce enough core stability, not only here, it should have a global effect across the body, then my entire body will be strong, safe, and whatever other word you want to use to describe stability. And again, I really, really like this analogy that Stability is like safety. So if I can create more stability in my body, I'm going to be safe. So an, an example, like if I had to um, argue that the deadlift, it's a leg exercise, right? Everyone thinks, yeah, it's a leg exercise, hamstrings, glutes, whatever it is. I would look at it as core exercise. I'm putting my spine through so much force, so much weight that I have to resist. It would make sense that all of this stuff between my shoulders and knees have to create enough stability and safety in order to lift that barbell off the ground and ensure that my spine doesn't fucking explode. I would categorize that as a core exercise, right? Um, that being said, what are some traditional um, core exercises that are better than crunches? Um, and another thing I wanted to point out is like, if you actually look at like EMG studies where they, you know, put the electrodes on your body to see how much muscle activity you get between, um, what's it called? Um, between different exercises, they did a study where they, you know, include crunches and some other core exercises and crunches from a muscle, um, activity standpoint is pretty low, right? Compared to like, say a front plank or a side plank, that's pretty high up there that uses a lot crunches it way at the bottom so when it comes from like a fat loss perspective people will spend endless amounts of time like 15 to 20 minutes at the end of their workout doing endless crunches because they want to have a visible six-pack now if you know that the amount of energy it takes to create a crunch like movement is pretty low then from a fat loss perspective or a muscle building perspective, it's pretty much useless. Whereas if you know that something like a Turkish getup, core exercise requires a lot of energy to produce, meaning you would spend more time burning calories, burning fat to reveal those abs that you want, right? Like, do you really think that if you spent every single day doing crunches for 20 minutes 
that only that one area of your body is going to lose fat? Probably not. You don't see that. Like, you know, when people ask me about um, fitness products, like those ab things, it's like, okay, imagine if those things weren't and people put on that foam pad thing that vibrates um, your fat away. I don't know how that works. Um, that means that this one area is just going to be shredded and the rest of your body is still going to be like jello, no definition whatsoever. Like that's not a good, I don't think we've ever seen a human being like that. You know what I mean? So that being said, you might as well utilize exercises on a higher scale that require a lot of energy to produce, which will then put you more into a calorie deficit, which then allows you to recover more because you're utilizing more muscles that are involved in those exercises. And voila, down the road a year from now, your abs are now more defined. Right, but people just don't think about this process. And I always say to people that exercise, like fitness in general, is very, very, very simple. It's so simple that people overthink it and believe that this next product that came out for Boxing Day or Black Friday is the secret to their issues. But if you really think about it, like fitness has been around for a long time, like training has been around for a long time. People have been getting strong for centuries, a new product that some person invented today is not gonna revolutionize the science behind people adapting to stress. Like, maybe it'll speed it up a little bit, but there hasn't been anything that's been researched or proven to speed it up that fast that everyone needs to start doing it, right? You see new products being produced every freaking year, and really just comes down to here's a new stress thing that you can adapt to. But if you look at like Olympic weightlifters, they have three lifts they do all year. And by the time they make it to the Olympics, they've been weightlifting for like 15 years with the same three lifts. And for some reason, they're big, strong, they're lean, they have a six pack and they can lift heavy amounts of weight. Sure, there's some like drugs involved, but um, still, you are still getting strong um, based on just three things. But anyway, other options. So if I were to choose those things where I need to fight flexion, extension, rotation, and lateral flexion, um, things that come to mind, and I will kind of progress how I do it, kind of similar to my last video about the deadlift. Um, and this is gonna showcase how, you know, how I was saying that, you know, I work at, Here's like the, my four month progression. The reason why people can progress that way is that there's other stuff that I'm supporting it with in order that they can see that progression line go up. So just like my other video where I'm like, okay, we're gonna learn how to deadlift. We're gonna learn how to breathe. So the first thing I do for a functional core to prevent low back pain is utilizing diaphragm. So there's a few different ways that I do this. So. Traditionally, if I am lying down, one hand on my belly, one hand on my chest, breathing. From there, I can have feet elevated against the wall, bench, box, whatever it is. I'll even get people lying on their side to see if they can fill up 
one side, if the, you see an asymmetry from left to right, then you already know there's an energy leak. And I've seen this with patients too with low back pain is that they'll be able to expand their diaphragm from one side and the other it's like zero activity. And I'm like, well, no wonder that when you go into a gym setting or a class or whatever it is and you're required to create stability, aka safety around your spine and one side of your diaphragm can't expand to create that, well, no wonder you're getting injured, right? Like common sense but um, that's something that you can train so depending on the assessment that I do on the client kind of like the um, uh, deadlift uh, assessment I also do a breathing assessment one just like how I showcased is just the breathing pattern of the diaphragm compared to the chest side lying on one side side lying on the other side and then the last one is if I was lying down on my belly hopefully you guys can see me here and then forehead is on my you know hands forearms whatever it is and I'm trying to breathe my belly into the ground and if I can see an elevation hopefully you guys can see it and if I can see that people can breathe back up in here into their erectors now I know that they can create that three uh, 60 degree stability around their spine when it comes um, to any kind of exercise. A lot of times people don't have that ability and I'm like, okay, we have a lot to work with right now. We need to figure your shit out. So that's kind of my first phase of teaching someone how to breathe. Um, and then from there is, you know, things like um, some low level planks and dead bugs. So depending on how many times I see somebody in person, online, whatever it is, is how I'm gonna structure their kind of core section of their program. So from that breathing position, I will get um, people doing a dead bug, but a progressional dead bug. So a lot of times it's, you know, all right, we learned how to breathe. And now it's like, let's breathe with the legs up. Let's hold the breath, do one leg, back up, exhale, deep breath in, other leg comes down, exhale, back up, and then eventually adding the arms and legs. Now, just kind of like, this is how I look at core training is similar to what I said earlier about if I'm only training this, I'm leaving, leaving a lot on the table and building an asymmetry already. So just like functional core training that don't involve, um, flexion-based activities, I gotta make sure that I'm not only doing a dead bug or breathing on my back, I gotta do other stuff. So just like training, if I'm gonna do a push, I wanna do a pull. If I'm gonna do a hip dominant exercise, I wanna do a knee dominant exercise. If I'm gonna do an overhead press, I wanna do an overhead pull, right? I gotta even it out. So something as uh, simple as a uh, bird dog, right? Opposite arm, opposite leg. The biggest thing that I see when people do this bird dog is that they don't know how to create that core stability. So they end up utilizing their lower back every single rep. Whereas really what I wanna see is your hip going into extension, engaging this glute as hard as possible while the opposite arm creates tension. And even when I'm holding this position, this, say my right hand that's on the ground, 
I am literally corkscrewing the ground. Like I'm twisting the ground to engage my lat as hard as possible. And then with the supporting foot that's on the ground, my toe is crushing into the ground. And then my hand that's reaching out, I'm creating a fist. And when I get to that full extension, I'm squeezing as hard as possible. And that heel behind me is driving to that back wall as hard as possible. And that's teaching my body, especially my spine, how to create that stability, how to create that safety. Um, and create a more functional core. This is just like the foundation, just like how I did my deadlift video. This is kind of like my phase one, right? That was a dynamic way of creating tension and um, kind of that, you know, contract, relax, contract, relax in a dynamic way. And I find that a lot of times when people do this correctly, they will finally see progression. Because a lot of times, kind of like the deadlift video where, you know, I get someone in, their deadlift hit a plateau, and I check all the foundations, they don't have any, that's why they hit the plateau. A lot of times when it comes to weightlifting and they can't, you know, get a little bit more, they see this huge plateau in their training, it's because they don't have the foundations for a good core. And sometimes it's like, I check their breathing, they have no idea how to use their diaphragm, and it's like, well, now you have this huge energy leak, right? So, um, breathing, dead bug, bird dog, all their variations, awesome. Going into planks, one thing that I really, really, really love is training anti-lateral flexion. I find that is the highest payoff when it comes to preventing low back pain. I don't know why that is, honestly. Someone out there who's smarter than me could probably tell me, but for some reason, when I can get someone super strong, fighting anti-lateral flexion, they tend to get better, they become more resilient and just powerful. So an example of an exercise that can help with that is literally going into a side plank. And if I was doing phase one, I'm doing half a side plank. So both my legs are bent in half. Phase two would be like the knee up from there, leg extended, and then from there is where I'm going to be in a full side plank. This, I am fighting anti-lateral flexion, getting all my obliques and those deep muscle, uh, muscles within the spine to help build that strength to make sure that my body doesn't fall into any kind of this stuff. Um, I'm getting close to 30 minutes here and I'm trying to figure out where I wanna go with this. I might do, actually, you know what, I'm gonna do a part two of just core training and why crunches are terrible. So we got to just like my phase one uh, bit. Um, I will add one more thing before I move on to the next thing. Um, Anti-lateral flexion. Um, the other plank that I do, so a lot of times people are like, okay, what about front planks? Awesome, but a lot of times in phase one, people don't have enough stability protect that lumbar spine in this position. So the best way to do it is to cut the lever in half. And I like, I call this a sprawl. I read it in a magazine like nine years ago compared to what most people call it as like the low bear. But you know, you start in a quadrupedal position and you just lift the knees up and you hold any person with low back pain. This is money. Being able to get someone in a plank position to fight extension, huge, 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 huge. Front plank, most people don't have the ability to do it properly. so the sprawl plank or the low bear, whatever you want to call it, works so, so well for any low back person. And even if you have someone that's really, 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 really weak and they have terrible low back pain, 
the easiest thing for them to do, and this is the only time I let people cheat, is in this position, lift the hips a little bit higher and now put more weight into that upper body. For men, works really, really well. Women sometimes not because they don't have that upper body strength just yet. So sometimes doing that, their upper body will fatigue faster. But again, like, your body adapts to stress. Do 10 seconds at the very, very beginning. But this is kind of my, like, low-level stuff that I do with everybody. And when you get people doing it right, even my CrossFitters in the clinic, when I get them to do this stuff, they find it difficult, right? It doesn't matter if you're an amateur lifter or you're a brand new person into the clinic that's never exercised. This stuff is hard when you do it right, if you know that's the stuff that people need. I will do a part two to this because I just realized in my head it's gonna expand even bigger and the next one for sure is gonna be an hour or even more. Um, but there you go, low level, level one, maybe even level zero, I would put that into a category of what we just did. Now the thing I wanted to bring up, forward flexion is not so bad. I've done videos where I've shown myself in like the hinge and rotating my pelvis to move my lumbar spine to flexion and extension in a rounded position. In order for an articul uh, articulation, aka your joint, to be healthy, it needs to move in all the capacities it has. So if my shoulder only does this on a cell phone or this on a laptop and my arm going up to grab a cup out of the cupboard, all that other stuff that my shoulder can do, and I'm performing a shoulder car right now, gets tight, gets stiff, and then it doesn't move and the joint itself becomes sick. It doesn't have the nutrients it needs to be able to move freely like this, right? So just like your spine, if I never put it into flexion, eventually those articulations that allow you to go into flexion is not going to be healthy. It's not going to move the way it should. But, but, if you're an individual with a history of low back pain, probably at that moment, it's not the best idea to go into flexion, but you can retrain yourself to do it to make sure you don't get into pain, which is gonna be in the part two of this video, which is gonna be a long, long video, I just realized. But I'm gonna end it there so you guys can think about this stuff and see where your gaps are in your core training. And, if you and today we're gonna to do the part two of our low back pain exercise selection um, topic that we did last time. And I quickly realized that it needed to be a lot longer. So to kind of recap from the last episode where we talked about uh, low back pain, movement of the spine, exercises that tend to flare it up, exercises that you should avoid, and we started talking about exercises that we need to do in order to keep the spine happy, healthy, and strong. And to kind of um, put things in context, if you didn't listen to my first one, um, when I speak about training, I'm always talking about um, general population people because that's what I primarily work with, but there's a lot of um, differences when you're training with an elite athlete, um, someone that's super flexible, someone who is kind of like an outlier. And a lot of times I find that coaches kind of fall into that co category, whereas in reality they're training 
everyday people and they're trying to apply principles and methods that only work for those outliers and they're actually making their clients feel a lot worse and sometimes like it's just the fundamentals like it's literally do the basics over and over and over and over again and that's where you see true change a lot of people like and nutrition is the same thing but I just find that people always try to do like overcomplicate things when you really don't need to you know um, so that being said like we're gonna go through um, a lot of the progressions that I do and you know we're gonna go similar to what we did with that deadlift um, video of my progression for someone that was you know either brand new to exercise never touched a barbell to eventually barbell deadlifting <clears throat> and to kind of keep in mind too I will throw in different aspects to training when it comes to um, back pain of what exercise you should do what you shouldn't do and little other things that I'll sprinkle in so the whole process of like, like core training there are so many different exercises out there that all work great and I won't be able to cover all of them in this one video but I will showcase the ones that are most commonly used in my programming um, and that are that tend to be safe on the back so I believe last time what I got through is kind of like my phase one where we focus on breathing we focus on dead bugs bird dogs and carries and those kind of open the door to so many other things. Because I find that when you don't build that base and then you go try something like an ab wheel rollout, you fuck up your back, right? So you need to have that level of progression. And this is where a lot of people forget. And it's just similar to like, you're brand new to the gym and instead of you know learning how to hinge with your hips, you're gonna barbell deadlift so um, the one thing that we'll go over I don't think I mentioned last time is half kneeling positions and I find that you know when you get someone in a half kneeling position so imagine I am kneeling down with my right knee down to the ground and I'm gonna go on a 45 and I have my left leg in front Again, kind of going into that phase one progression. If I have my left foot as close as possible to where it's in line with my knee and my back foot, I'm already kind of unstable. And now I need to squeeze my glute and engage all my hip stabilizers in conjunction with all my core musculature. I absolutely love using half kneel everything for proper like core recruitment and proper like hip stabilization and teaching the body how to build stability. And if you remember in my previous episodes, I always mention and refer to um, stability as safety, like we're creating safety around our entire body. So that being said, if I can constantly recreate that focus of, I'm constantly gonna feed you the ability to continue to stabilize you, continually build stability. And why not do that in all different types of exercises? So that's why the half kneel is so brilliant. And it kind of covers that area of teaching the low back how to be stable and strong. 
because anytime um, low back pain kind of pops up in my clinic, it's usually to do with poor hip mobility and poor hip stabilization. And if I can cover those two things, then that's going to help this individual who has low back pain or has had flare-ups in the past. So that's where kind of the half kneeling position works really well. Um, I find a lot of traditional core exercises don't have that ability to do that. So that's why the half kneel is my like reoccurring exercise over and over and over and over again. So going back to the half kneel, if I was kind of in my phase one, you know, progression, I'm literally going to line up my left heel with my right knee and my right ankle. And now glute has to engage hip stabilizers in conjunction with my core. And now I'm stabilizing. And sometimes I'll just do this kind of like a plank where hit the timer 30 seconds per side. Um, from this half kneel position, you can do so many things. Before I get into non-traditional core exercises, going into something like a pile-off press or an anti-rotation press. And if you remember from my first video, we talked about what, how is the spine um, built? How is it functioning? How does our body interact with it? What is it designed to do? So our spine can go into flexion, extension, rotation, and lateral flexion on each side, meaning that the muscles surrounding the spine are able to resist those ranges of motion, which then creates stability in our spine. So if you think about an anti-rotation press, so if I'm on my right knee, my left leg's in front, and I have a cable machine to my right, or I have a squat rack, um, pillar, bar, whatever you want to call it, have a band wrapped around it, it's coming out and I'm holding in both of my hands and I'm pressing out and back in. So the moment I press out, the band or the cable machine is going to be pulling me over into lateral flexion. So all this stuff needs to be here and I'm also fighting rotation. So I have two things happening from a core standpoint that is going to build a more resilient um, stable spine and also a more resilient body overall and you know in my um, first version of my ebook the ironclad body training system um, i have a lot of half kneel you know exercises and i'm super excited for my second version of the book that will most likely drop um sometime this summer if i can get all my shit together um yeah so two things we're already doing in that one half kneel position. But the other thing that people don't think about is in that half kneel position, I'm also teaching my hip how to stabilize. And a lot of times, unstable hips tend to have an unstable lumbar spine. So now I'm literally working on three things at the same time. Now, knowing that the half kneel position tends to work three things at the same time and more, um, I've done multiple po posts why the half kneeling and tall kneeling position is one of the best ways to build a resilient core and how to build um, just overall stability and strength that will carry over to many other things. Um, when I do the half kneel position, um, I always tell people like you're going to try to find a spot where you're not completely in line because eventually you're just going to fall over all the time. But 
um, finding a position where you feel unstable, but you have enough in you to kind of stabilize the mo uh, movement and um, stay at that spot. Because sometimes, you know, if your leg's too far out and it's way too easy and you're just kind of using your upper body, you're not really working um, core stability and hip stability. You're just kind of just going through the motions. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you're like going way too in line and you're all over the place. So you have to find that happy medium. Um, the other thing that I tend to use in the half kneeling position is every exercise I can think of. So that being said, if we know that that half kneel position is doing wonders for hip stabilizers, glute function and core stability, why not do, you know, a landmine press or a cable press or a half kneel row, single arm or double arm, face pulls, um, cable chops, um, cable lifts and chops from like the FMS, um, landmine presses, I don't know if I already said that, um, overhead press if I'm allowed, um, kettlebell halos, like any exercise that you can do standing, you can easily throw that into a half meal stance. So now I'm I have more opportunities um, to kind of to solidify that message to my body that hey you need to turn this 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 and on to make sure everything's stable right and I feel like that's kind of how my training has evolved over the years is finding ways to reinforce the fundamentals without knowing it and a lot of times when you look at the aspect of like fat loss weight loss um, muscle gain we all know that, hey, if I burn more calories, I'm most likely going to see my um, goals, right? So how do you burn more calories? You're going to do more movement, meaning more movement needs more muscle fibers to be activated. So how do you get more muscle um, activation with exercises that require more, right? So we all know that, say, a bicep curl compared to a Olympic snatch, Right, that bicep curl has a lot less muscle activation than a, um, a barbell snatch, right? So when I place people in half kneeling positions, and if you do this already in your programming or in your workouts, you know that a half kneeling position requires a lot more stabilization because it keeps it kind of get gets you off the balance. So now if we throw in, I'm doing a single arm overhead uh, kettlebell press then that requires a lot more uh, muscle activation than if I was just standing or sitting on a bench doing a um, press, right? So now I'm working on building a good foundation, um, creating stability, creating a more functional core, protecting my low back, um, protecting my entire spine, learning how to um, fight rotation, how to fight lateral flexion, and also with more muscle recruitment, burn more calories, have a better um, just overall training experience because now in a half kneel position, the thing that I didn't even talk about is it's really hard to cheat in that position. Whereas if I was standing and trying to do an overhead press, I can easily go into extension and try to fight that. Um, a lot of weird 
weird stuff happens when people start compensating and usually happens in the standing position whereas a half kneel it it literally does not happen it's really really difficult to uh, cheat in that position so now I have more longevity in my training and the biggest thing that I see in the clinic is people like like avid gym goers that don't really follow a specific plan to themselves they may be going to <clears throat> a gym following a cookie cutter program um, doing CrossFit maybe doing a program they downloaded offline but a lot of times in the clinic those people will come in because something has flared up because of what they did in their workout which might not be specific to them right so what happens is now they got to take some time off right usually those people coming into the clinic are so far gone that they physically had to stop training but all the weeks kind of leading up with that little flare up in their elbow in their low back in their knee whatever it is already started slowing down their volume of training which is now preventing them from seeing success what they want to achieve whether it's fat loss muscle gain endurance whatever it is right and now they're at a point where they've stopped completely and then getting under a treatment plan might be another two weeks of no activity some activity and eventually reintroducing them to that environment of their training and still following some restrictions some modifications and they're still not at that volume that it used to be so now that you know little piece of tra your training year that macro cycle of your programming say it was six weeks in total where you could have been pain-free and still pushing yourself in a gym like you want to right that's another thing is like you'll see those like motivational videos of like the rock working out and you're like oh shit like i need to start training like him like a fucking badass but the stuff you don't see on social media is like his recovery strategies in order to do that right nobody talks about recovery because it's not that exciting but that's kind of the missing link like are you actually doing stuff to recover from the stuff that you're doing in the gym like you know i shit on crossfit all the time but you know you could do crossfit as long as you do the recovery strategies in order to continue doing that sport right a lot of people don't think of that and they end up just they're just going and going and going and like things tend to go on your body right so the longevity thing is huge huge and that's why i pride myself like the way that i program and it's all the stuff that i've been saying in this episode the previous episode and the one on the deadlift allows my clients to show up more so now I'll take it from the perspective of a general population person where weight loss is a huge thing if i can continue to have people showing up every single week their chances of success is a lot higher. But if something in my program flared something up and they had to take one week off, that turned into two, they come back, they're not really doing the same intensity, now I'm slowing them down from seeing success, right? And that's on me. And I learned that really, really uh, fast in the beginning of my career, whereas now, I don't remember the last time I had a client in person or online where they had to stop training due to something in their program i had clients where they've literally injured themselves because they dropped something on their foot or they hurt themselves at work and we worked around what they're dealing with with a program that is that's designed for them right so it really comes down to um 
your overall goal and this is how I look at training. It goes into so many aspects, right? We're literally talking about low back pain and why you need to stop doing crunches and here's some other exercises. But those exercises have more layers to them in the sense that now I can showcase that if you do this exercise, it has all these other benefits that go into all these different categories into your overall goal of what you want to achieve this year. And, you know, now that we're in 2021, I think we all want to get through the COVID and the holiday weight gain and finally see success. But a lot of us, probably the most of the world, have been working from home on their laptops and now they're sitting a lot more or laying in bed and stuff is stiff. Like for me, I felt that I've done a lot more computer work this past year and my hips are tight. Like when I teach my kin stretch, I was like, damn, like this was not like it was before. So that's how I kind of look at exercise. Like, am I choosing exercises that are going to influence other facets of my training and also other categories of success in life? Right. Um, that's why I don't think honestly crunches is, is one of those things that are going to give you, um, the results you're looking for. Um, man, I went on a big tangent there. Where are we going from here? Um, half kneeling stuff. So for phase one, we follow, followed breathing, dead bug, bird dog, uh, side plank, sprawl plank. Um, and then we just got into the half kneel stuff. So kind of the next progression from there that I like to take my clients to is just looking at those little exercises and how to progress them, right? And if you look at my entire course training, I follow what our spine is designed to do and the categories of um, dead bug, bird dog, planks, um, carries, and uh, cable stuff for being in half kneel. Um, so if I were to take those five categories and now progress it to the kind of the next level, what I'm looking for is now, let's say the dead bug. And you've seen so many videos that I posted online of so many different dead bug variations. The biggest thing that people need to understand with dead bug is keeping tension, right? So when I coach people core exercises, teaching them tension is another way to find stability and I've made an entire episode about what stability is and if you think of the easiest way to create tension um, is literally like the starfish game um, I can't remember if I taught you guys this but if I was laying down like a starfish hopefully I got enough room here and you know both my arms are on the ground my feet are on the ground and all I do with a client is like, don't let me move you. So in this position, you know, I'll come around and try to lift their arm off the ground. I'll try to lift their leg off the ground. And all they have to do is actively push down and resist. And that's what um, core training is. This, uh, core training is, is resisting um, resistance. That was a terrible way to explaining it, but um, to res uh, resist rotation, flexion, extension, lateral flexion and rotation, right? So that's the easiest way to be like, that's how I want you to turn on your core. That's another like topic. I don't even think I brought that up last time is a lot of people think of turning on their core is like, I'm gonna brace and don't let anyone hit me, right? 
it needs to be more dynamic than that. So, for example, in the dead bug, when we're here, it's nice, loose, and goosey, but as I'm extending, I'm creating more tension, holding it for a second, and then coming in to relax. So a lot of times when I teach tension, it's like when you extend that leg, I want you to drive your heel to that opposite wall, and then with your opposite hand, create a fist to create as much tension, and then relax coming in. Because a lot of those times where you need to learn how to create tension and relax, showcases, um, pops up another exercise that you need to do. So think of a deadlift. You need to create a lot of tension as you're driving up, and then you kind of relax that tension on the way down on a smaller scale. So a lot of times, my core training ends up, um, again, in other exercises. So progress the dead bug in any of the videos I've ever posted. And, you know, if you're new to my channel, one, like, and subscribe, but just go into my core section or just search up like dead bug. I have so many variations and they all, um, evolve with, um, tension. So I think my first dead bug video was like filmed in 2014. And it's just a basic dead bug, but all the different uh, variations have a level of a little bit more tension. Same thing with the bird dog, a little bit more dynamic, but you can still progress it. So I like using a band single arm row. I like using a cable single arm row. I will do a dumbbell row off a bench, um, either with the leg in a, what's it called? A, uh, so many thoughts are running through my mind. I can't even speak. Um, a dumbbell row on a bench with the one leg extended the whole time or with the leg moving as the arm goes. Um, you can do the high tension bird dog that I've posted a long time ago and every time I do it in my kid stretch class, it literally just kills people. Um, one, because it's super, super slow. We're working a lot of isometrics in it and it's literally probably my favorite thing right now for um, core training. And then when it comes to um, carries. Um, last time we kind of talked about a double-handed carry, single-arm carry. Um, from there, I would go into a bottoms-up carry. Um, you can go into a racked carry if you know how to clean. Um, I tend to go into a rack carry with a dumbbell first, and I also rotate it this way. And I also push my arm forward. So if I was sideways, a lot of times people have it racked pretty close, but I like to rotate it in. So if I had two dumbbells, for example, one I can squeeze them together, and then also I push them out a little bit, so now I get a little bit more anterior core. So it's kind of like uh, the goblet squat position. Um, it tends to help a lot when it comes to activating that core. Um, other uh, progression saying that half kneel so you were doing that anti-rotation press I might add a little front raise and again challenging into your core just doing that like you don't have to go above your head but I like to here and up um, and I start also adding like the TRX where you know feet go in we can just do the knee drive or the atomic crunch whatever you want to call it um, it's not really a crunch it's kind of like a reverse crunch and that is a whole other topic on itself, the reverse crunch, which I might leave um, for next time. But um, I also like going into like a tall kneeling rollout with a ball and I wish I had 
have a stability ball. I need to get it in my little gym area. But um, again, if we know that the spine is designed to fight extension, a tall kneeling position, if I had a ball underneath my hands and I had to roll out and let my entire spine along with my hips go in that direction, I'm fighting again uh, to keep my extension from happening to here and just keeping it neutral. Um, that works really, really, really well. Um, again, uh, a progression from a front plank can either just be a push-up position, like get someone in a push-up position perfectly lined up, they're gonna have a tough time fighting that. Um, sometimes it comes down to, uh, you know, just getting creative. Like there's so many front plank um, variations, but th this is an easy way to remember how to um, see if you're ready for like a front plank variation. So, you, you know, like if I had someone in a front plank position or they're trying to do like reach outs or something. The biggest thing to know is the moment that the hips get unlevel, you're not ready for it. Um, I see a lot of shitty, shitty front planks with the hips super high and they're also rocking and like, you're not getting the benefit of the exercise. If anything, you're doing more harm than good on that lumbar spine. So a lot of times it comes down to doing the foundations again. And, you know, when I get people progressing through core stuff, it's very, very, very simple, but it's difficult. And when you kind of keep to that, I got to find a dead bug, I need to find a plank, I need to find a bird dog, I need to find a half kneeling something, and I need to do some sort of a carry. That's all you really, really need. And there's a lot of exercises that are, again, non-traditional, and that work your core. So... If I got someone in a offset dumbbell racked squat, like I am fighting anti-lateral flexion while squatting, like that's a really good fucking core exercise. <laughs> like, or a, just a regular uh, dumbbell goblet squat. Like having that weight in front of you, you are fighting your body from going into flexion. Like you need all this stuff to be activated to hold that position. Again, non-traditional core exercise and guaranteed if you throw yourself some little, like, what's it called, little electrodes uh, test um, muscle acti activity, comparing a goblet squat to a crunch, 100%, that goblet squat is going to get more activation, more muscle activation like we were talking about before when it comes to um, crushing goals in 2021, when it comes to building uh, muscle, burning fat, whatever it is. Um, where was I going with that? Another example, how people tend to overcomplicate things. You know, they'll look at the goblet squat like, oh, you know, goblet squats are easy. I need to like progress myself and like work harder. So I'm gonna do like a, um, what's it called? A barbell back squat. Sure, it's a harder exercise, but do you actually have the prerequisites to actually do that effectively to get the benefit? Right? If I took that person who has that mindset, like, oh, I need to do the back squat because it's harder, and they're like putting 135 on and like can barely do a good set of like six reps, for example, I'm like, guaranteed if I took that person and gave them the 100 pound dumbbell to goblet squat for six reps, it was gonna crush them. It just requires a lot more. So, you know, I always tell new coaches like exercise selection and how 
those exercises influence the body are going to be your saving grace for programming and making people successful. And that's why I'm always looking for like, you know, if you look at just the kettlebell world, those guys and women are so freaking strong and all they use are kettlebells. And when you look at the design and nature of those kettlebells, they all require you to have more muscle activation. And I think that's kind of really the key without, you know, creating your program into like a freaking circus act. And you're like on a BOSU ball with fucking balls being thrown at you and you have to catch them and throw it back to your trainer. Like not that kind of stuff, stuff that you can control and you only need one piece of equipment. Um, I think I'm going to end it there to kind of give you guys some space to think about all the stuff I said. Um, for those at home, like really think about how you're implementing your core stuff. Do not go into the whole rabbit hole of I'm going to start doing crunches for like 10 minutes at the end of my workout. These core exercises are great to implement either at like the beginning of your training, kind of like a activation phase. Um, I stole that from the Cosgrove's, I thought it was brilliant. Or as a recovery exercise, like sometimes the way I implement it is, you know, I have my client doing a push exercise, a pull, a leg exercise, and that fourth exercise is going to be a little core exercise for them to kind of recover. Because most times I'm choosing core exercises that don't require a lot of energy to produce. So if I have someone that's newish and their third exercise, like they have a half kneel, single arm cable press, uh, TRX row, goblet squat, and now I have them doing a front plank, like that's not that much that taxing on them, but still I'm achieving what I wanna create in the program, which is overall stability and I can't even speak resiliency in their body so they can stay pain-free. Um, that's how I kind of look at um, training programs when it comes to implementing core. Um, I don't ever put together an entire core workout that doesn't, doesn't like, compute in my head. Like we're working on your core in every single workout. So um, there's no sense of um, creating an entire day dedicated to it kind of like the traditional bodybuilding if you have like an abs day um but i think that's going to be it for today i've gave given a lot of information of how i progress um my core exercises like kind of the train of thought of functional core to keep your low back safe and kind of just elaborated a little bit more on that pr uh, previous episode so hopefully that was helpful um, I am going to leave it at that. If you have any questions, feel um, free to reach out. What we're going to go over today is another kind of low back pain um, topic because I see this a lot in the clinic. I see this a lot in the gym when people perform things that require a lot of hip extension and they always say, oh, I always feel it in my lower back. So an example of that is running, they feel it in their low back deadlifting they feel it in their low back even some like squats they feel in their low back lunges basically anything to do with your lower body tends to require quite a bit of hip extension and if you don't have one the mobility to do hip extension 
things are gonna F up, and two, if you don't have adequate um, active control of hip extension, things are not going to work the way they should. So I wanted to cover this whole topic because it's something I always talk about almost on a daily basis when I see a patient in the clinic uh, dealing with low back pain. And it kind of goes down to that whole, you know, concept and idea that um, glute function, your glutes don't fire, glute amnesia or whatever you want to like call it. Um, so we're going to kind of unravel that whole topic in today's episode. So for those who are listening to this podcast, highly, highly, highly recommend that you watch the video of this because we're going to be demoing um, quite a bit of stuff on this uh, topic and we're going to have my wife Angel be the body and demo and maybe she'll chime in with her two cents because she's almost a doctor and I know nothing compared to her. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a good episode. So hit the show notes, hit the link on my YouTube to watch this. Um, if not, I'm going to try to be as descriptive as possible. If you're listening to this, you know, in your car or whatever you do while listening to podcasts. Um, and hopefully Misty doesn't get super psyched and excited that we're on the floor and she's going to start wanting to play and we'll probably move the camera around a little bit too. Um, so I guess we can get started. Hip extension. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. All right. Hop on into the frame, babe. All right, so what we're gonna do, um, I'm gonna get you to lie down this way on your belly. Nice, okay. So for those who don't know, hip extension is when your leg goes back to extend the hip this way. So I'm gonna get Angel to extend her right hip into extension. And good. So that's hip extension. Not really that exciting, that, you know, intricate, but it is so, so, so vital with um, any kind of exercise dealing with um, things like deadlifts, hip thrusts, squats, all those things. And I think I should be on this side so I don't cover you. Um, so number one, there is like a sequence of firing when it comes to uh, hip extension. Number one, it should be the glute that engages. Then number two is your hamstring and then lumbar spine. What we see a lot is that people end up going lumbar spine first, then hamstring, then glute kind of just is there. Or you'll hear people saying, my hamstring cramps when I do glute bridges, I feel it in my low back and nothing in my glutes. So those are like the two scenarios that we always, always see. A lot of times too, when I assess somebody, when we do exactly what Angel just did, a demonstration of hip extension, I'll always ask them, where do you feel it? And they're like, pretty stiff in my low back. So maybe demo it one more time, but like be like completely prone. What hands sound like it? No, let's go on top of each other. You want and my feet to be tucked up? Yeah, you can go tuck and extend and then back down. What did you feel? It did feel low back a little bit. So even when I assess hip extension, I'll kind of watch what happens. 
And like right away, Angel likes to use this portion of her back. So if you go again, you can even like, and go again. Do it now. Yeah. You can already see like this hip will drop down and then this starts firing up. So there's a couple things that we can do. Number one, we have to figure out if it's a mobility issue so we can check passively. We can do other orthopedic tests. What do you test for hip extension? You can do yeoman where you have the, you can bring it up like this. Yeah. Like passively. Yeah. Um, and then any of the like internal external rotation doing that way as well. What about the one on the table where you have the leg off to the side? Um, you can do Gainsland's or mm -hmm. Thomas. Can you say those tests out loud for the audience? So you have Gainsland's. Oh, I always get these two mixed up. I believe Gainsland's is the one where that's off the table, whereas Thomas is fully on the table. Thomas is like this, I believe. And the and the, um, the examiner is the one that's putting overpressure. Whereas Gainsland's is off the table, and you as the patient is the mm -hmm. one doing the pressure, and the other leg is falling off the table. Yeah, so for those who don't know, those are like orthopedic tests that most physiotherapists, chiropractors, or future naturopathic doctors will learn to rule out or figure out any kind of musculoskeletal stuff. Um, again, do I use them sometimes, but again, like there's so many different ways to skin a cat and it's all based on how you're trying to figure out what? Why would you use that expression? Why to skin a cat? <laughs> that, that's a pretty like common phrase that people say. No? I don't like it. <laughs> you don't like it? There's lots of ways of figuring this out. Okay. Hip extension. <laughs> I use the FRA. I test passively and actively, but I care mostly about active control because that's where it translates more into everyday stuff and more into what happens at the gym. So when I see that this is not working, well, hip extension is not working and this is overpowering, we need to figure out how to, well, number one, activate the glutes. There's so many ways of doing that. And there's ways to kind of um, prevent lumbar extension from happening. So we're gonna go down the rabbit hole of probably um, demonstrating some exercise before I go back into more hip extension stuff. So something that I like to use in, um, my kin stretch classes and things like that is number one, priming the kind of nervous system to one, because a lot of times where if something doesn't move the way it should, I kind of automatically think of your nervous system is the gatekeeper to everything. And if I constantly have someone putting an emergency brake on for every single body part that I have, I'm not gonna have a really good chance of activating what I want. So sometimes what we'll do, um, at least in my programming, I will incorporate things from the kin stretch um, practice that I have, like pails and rails to directly communicate to the nervous system to be like, hey, I wanna utilize this movement pattern. Here are the muscles involved in the pattern. And I'm going to tell my nervous system that I need more kind of recruitment for those muscles to ensure that I don't hurt my lower back when I deadlift. So what we're gonna do, I didn't even plan that I was gonna do this, it's 
top of my noggin. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna do this in our kin stretch later today. I'm gonna get you into a half kneel position. Oh, bam. And we're gonna kind of, oh, these shorts are really tight. We're gonna go into kind of almost like a runner stretch like this, but move the knee further back. Do you feel a stretch in here? Mm -hmm. So essentially now we're stretching um, hip extension muscles that are responsible for that. How we're gonna do a pails and rails contraction is we're gonna slowly lift this up. You feel the knees now flat on the ground? Mm, yeah. So you're gonna hold that there. When I tell you to go, you're gonna drive your knee down to the ground and that way. And this way? Yeah, almost like you're trying to like knee someone forward yeah. um and go start pushing push 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 i'm gonna hold this for about 10 seconds and relax and i'll kind of sink deeper into it because right away like even on the people on watching like the moment she stopped her whole hip already dropped forward because now we told her nervous system like hey let's have more hip extension and then you did that little isometric contraction and it was like okay i'll give you a little bit more so let's go back to that same position and now we're gonna do the rails in this. There is a chance, babe, <laughs> that your hamstring might cramp. Because what we're gonna do is the opposite. We pushed forward in that way. Now you're gonna think of driving your heel up towards the ceiling. But when you do that, when I tell you to go, think of squeezing your glute, driving the heel up. And up. Drive it up, drive it up. Again, 10 seconds, go, 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 go. And relax. And you can put this down. How did that feel? Okay, so now let's go back to that prone position because now it's like test and retest. That's what we always do to see if things are working. Go back to that prone position and show me hip extension like we did before. So right away what I noticed and relax, this was quiet. The glute fired and then the hamstring. Did that feel different? Yeah. Yeah, so like huge difference and like, oh my god, it's like magic. It's like voodoo. Not really. It's just manipulating our nervous system for our advantage. So imagine now if you were doing your warm up and we literally just held those stretches on both sides, did an active component. Now your glutes are like, all right, I'm ready for information. What do I need to do? You're most likely gonna have a better time doing things like deadlifts, hip thrusts, squats, whatever it is. The other thing I wanted to show, cause that kind of just threw me for a loop, go into a quadruped position and perfect so what i always see move forward a little bit when you see all the females on instagram working their glutes a lot of times they end up using lumbar spine and not actually utilizing hip extension for their glute so what i want you to do is take your right leg out straight but the toes on the ground like yeah and you're just gonna like do one of those leg lift things that you see on Instagram. Keep going. So Angel's doing a really good job of actually just utilizing hip extension. Now like overly exaggerate what you see. So that's what usually happens. So like the leg doesn't need to go that high and relax. So, but have the leg straight out again. Essentially, I'm gonna take you through extension. So essentially like 20 degrees of hip extension is like that's that's all it is but then anything further it's lumbar extension 
right? So now imagine, you can relax, you can even go to child's pose, I don't know what you want to do. Um, now imagine when you see people in the gym or even yourself going through like, I want to gain more size or aesthetically change my glutes, so I'm going to end up doing those hip extension uh, exercises and every single time I extend my leg, I'm going into lumbar extension, you know, you may actually have the mobility requirements to actively lift your leg into hip extension, but you think that more is better, so I'm going to create this almost like movement behavior of every time I tell my hip to extend, I'm going to use my lumbar spine every single time instead. And then every single exercise or form of exercise like running, your leg that's supposed to just go to hip extension is now just doing lumbar extension over and over and over again. So you're actually giving yourself a disservice because now you're not actually activating your glutes as much as you should, right? So little things like that go a long way. Does that kind of make sense? Mm -hmm. You want to throw anything in there? Well, you got it all covered. Okay. Um, the other thing that I find is when people do exercises like the glute bridge, a lot of times people will feel, again, hamstring or low back and never glutes. There's a lot of little things that you can do to change that. So let's get into a supine position, legs bent, like we're about to do a glute bridge because we're going to go over how I... Um, coach the glute bridge and I'm going to move the camera a little bit just to get a better angle or just a little bit closer that looks good so just do like a standard glute bridge just, just, just arms up to the side she's trained to just do it the way I do it so that's, let's do a couple more. That's essentially what most people do for a glute bridge and good. How I coach it. So I wanna think that if I'm gonna utilize an exercise like the deadlift, I wanna think of every single muscle that's involved with the deadlift. Because when I look at a warm up, I wanna create a warm up that is specific to what I'm about to do to get most bang for my buck when it comes to exercise selection. So with the deadlift in mind, a glute bridge is primarily just working hip extension and just glutes, but let's, you know, make it a little bit more specific to the deadlift. So the biggest thing that I see that people kind of leave on the table is not utilizing their lats in a glute bridge. And when you look at the lats, they have a huge, huge, huge influence on how your hip structure um, comes together in any kind of active component. And if you look at how it literally like flows into the glute complex, if you've done your cadaver lab, <laughs> which she has done just recently, um, you'll see that like all the fascial lines of the lats like literally dig into your pelvis where your glutes are. So when people say in their like deadlift cueing, like, engage the lats, like you wanna like think of bending the bar, like all those things. So it's like, okay, well, why don't I add that to my glute bridge to ensure that my low back is not turning on every single time I do a glute bridge. So what I do is I'll get Angel to drive her elbows into the ground. And again, 
when it comes to like joint centration, we use a fist to squeeze tight, just like if we're squeezing tight on a barbell to think of bending it in half. So now we have more tension being sent through the lats to kind of communicate with the glutes to go into extension. So let's do a couple of those. Yeah, and good. Little simple thing. Now the other thing too is like when I think of glute function, we also have to think of like the outside stuff of our glutes, like your glute med and min and all those deep six uh, muscles that allow you to externally rotate the hip. So when you do that in a deadlift, because a lot of people don't think of like pushing their hips out this way to make sure you go straight. Because a lot of times when people don't engage properly in the deadlift, they'll kind of come up and like swivel to one side, whoever is stronger. So if we think of actively driving our knees out to the side to engage lateral stabilizers, it's going to make things so much easier. So what I like to do is even with the feet, we're going to have them out. Oh, nice ankles. <laughs> feet out to externally rotate. So <laughs> Inside joke. Um, you're going to drive the knees out to the side into abduction to get more of those lateral stabilizers in conjunction with everything that we just did with the elbows and fists. So then come up. And she's thinking of pushing out, yep, and then holding and then coming back down. So now we have a lot of components that relate to the deadlift that we're making sure that the glutes are actually engaged, the lumbar spine's not involved, and then we're gonna throw a third or fourth thing. I'm like totally four or even five because I didn't even think about the feet. Um, is the breath. So a lot of times. People don't utilize their diaphragm, and I've done like three episodes on the diaphragm, so go find those. Um, during exercise, they don't utilize the diaphragm properly. So even in the glute bridge, I wanna prime my diaphragm to be ready for, say, something like a deadlift or a hip thrust or a back squat. So before every single um, glute bridge, what we're gonna do is take a deep belly breath in to engage diaphragm, and then we're gonna go up into and exhale as we do it. Here we go. And then, yeah. I don't, sorry, did I do it right? <laughs> you did, you did. You, did, you just held and then you breath, and it was all good. But essentially what you wanna do is like deep belly breath in, you hold it to create a little bit of intra-abdominal pressure, you drive up, exhale, and then back down. Relax. Does that feel good? Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Yeah, stronger. So like a lot of times, you know, you, you can come up from there if you don't feel good. Um, People exercise or move their body while exercising without any kind of purpose and it ends up kind of just going through the motions and that's where a lot of people lose their, you know, um, opportunity to actually utilize what muscles are supposed to happen. So in this case with like hip extension, how many times have you gone to the gym or seen other people do glute bridges just back and forth and like, are you really getting the benefit or are you just moving for the sake of moving, right? So you want every single exercise you do have a purpose behind it, have a full intention behind it. So then you can get the most like, you know, the biggest dividends from your workout. And that's where I think a lot of people kind of miss the boat. I'm just checking the time. Um, but yeah, like I think the biggest thing is most people have bad movement behaviors when it comes to um, hip extension and then they don't you know, follow a specific protocol in their warm-up to 
you know, improve um, activation of all their hip extension muscles and small little changes on something like the glute bridge that go a long way will help quite a bit. Um, anything else you want to chat about on hip extension that you can think of? Yeah, I think warm up is great. Most people are just sitting in their chairs all day now, especially now with COVID. So movement is great. It's good advice for me too. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good point though, too, is like, because we live in an environment that doesn't, you know, promote a lot of posterior stuff, because we tend to fall into this position a lot. So something as simple as that glute bridge that we all change with all those little things are all the stuff that we need in order to move like a human being that's not being challenged quite a bit. So even from a training standpoint is like anything posteriorly is going to give us so much more than focusing on just doing bench press and bicep curls and step ups. Like we want to use this back stuff as much as possible. Um, I think I'm going to leave it there because we kind of started without any kind of rambling, got right into it and we're already past 20 minutes. Um, so, oh, Misty's like twitching and sleeping. Um, that's it for this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you enjoyed our guest, future Dr. Angel Santos, which is going to be amazing. Um, about hip extension and low back pain. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Hit the show notes, add me on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Give me a five-star review on any platform that you listen to my podcast. And if you haven't done so already, watch this video if you've been listening uh, so you have a better visual understanding of what we did here on the floor. And that is it for us. Until next time, you guys, see ya!